I don't wake up every day and pop out of bed because the business is a certain size. I pop yeah. out of bed to bring ideas to life. Welcome to Behind the Brand, presented by NEO. We take an inside look at the leaders behind today's most influential brands. I'm your host, Jeff Adamson. As co-founder of NEO Financial and Skip the Dishes, I am fascinated by what it takes to build great companies. This season, we'll learn from leaders who are reimagining, innovating, and transforming industries all across Canada. Let's get going. Today, I'm excited to introduce Lyndon Cormick, Managing Director and Co-Founder of Herschel Supply Co. While working at Vans, Lyndon and his brother Jamie discovered a gap in the market for stylish yet affordable backpacks. Founded in 2009, Herschel Supply Co. is named after the small Canadian town where three generations of their family grew up. Headquartered in Vancouver, BC, Canada, Herschel Supply Co. is a design-driven global travel lifestyle brand producing timeless products with utility design. Originally renowned for their contemporary renditions of classic backpack silhouettes, Herschel Supply Co.'s range has since expanded to include luggage, travel accessories, wallets, apparel, and more. Today, Herschel products are sold in over 113 countries, with more than 10,000 stockists worldwide. Welcome, Lyndon. Thanks, Jeff. Good to be here with you. So I want to start from the beginning here. You were born in Drayton Valley, raised in Calgary. Now you're a diehard Deep Cove, North Vancouver resident. Tell us about the journey from Drayton Valley to the idea of Herschel. So that's from uh, when I was just born right to now, I guess. (laughs) My dad is a professional engineer. Uh, My mom was a school teacher and he worked a lot of his time in the oil business. So we bounced around a little bit in the school aged years, sort of from, uh, from Drayton to a town called Medicine Hat and then on to Calgary. From there, I left about 14 days after my 18th birthday. I moved myself by myself to Melbourne, Australia, uh, where I ended up living for a few years in Melbourne. When I came back to Canada, I lived in the Rocky Mountains in the Camworth Banff region, and then ultimately sort of started heading west and a short stint in Kelowna, and then the last 20 or so years in North Vancouver. I was always a really in, involved in sports. You know, my favorite things that sort of I latched onto were mountain biking, snowboarding, skateboarding, those kind of sports. And I was fortunate enough to have jobs in at the young age at retail, whether they're skateboard or snowboard shops or, or bike shops and sort of helped me, allow me to travel around the world a little bit and work in those style of stores. And then eventually is sort of, I, I graduated to becoming a sales rep in those industries, uh, mainly bike in the early days, mm-hmm. which led me out to sort of Vancouver. And then uh, I worked and did the business in British Columbia for Vans Shoes, which was a really amazing experience because of the trajectory of what Vans was going through and sort of, sort of their rebound. So a bunch of really, really fun years with uh, with awesome, awesome people. And, and then my brother and I just started to choose our next path and what we wanted to do. And we sort of brainstormed the idea of creating this brand called Virgin. You often would go back, visit family. You know, how did that affect your outlook on life and perhaps even some of your motivation and, and some of the inspiration you have for Herschel? We generally grew up in a city and cities have borders and boundaries and curfews. And one of the favorite moments we had is when we loaded up in the family station wagon, made our way about a six hour drive to this little town of Herschel where our grandparents live. And it's a little prairie town. There's about 23 residents in there today wasn't many more even back in the day when we were there. It was sort of that make your own adventure kind of town. And, mm-hmm. and although it might have been that sea of sameness or 
the prairies just surrounding this little town. There was just a, adventures everywhere. Again, when you when you grow up with those curfews, borders, boundaries, and then you get to be able to set yourself a little bit free in these little towns, a quite amazing experience. And, and two stories I really remember that were really fond memories for me was that everybody had the key for the hockey rink if you wanted to go play ice hockey and you could just go and play. Like, you know, those are things that just don't happen in a city, right? So you could just go open up the rink, you and others or you and family could go play, which I just sort of was blown away by a little bit. There was this other story where we were fixing up an old dirt bike and my dad and my mom were heading over to a neighboring farm. And, you know, my dad said, hey, once you guys are finished up, why don't you head over and threw me the keys to his car and Dad, I'm 13 years old. It's that kind of place. And uh, it was those kind of memories. And they were always near and dear to me and my family. When you think of the origin of Herschel, how much did you kind of look at the opportunity to, to build Herschel and say, hey, like, maybe it's about doing things a little bit differently. Maybe it's about breaking some of the rules. Did that come from your experience working at Vans? Or do you think it came actually just from your upbringing? Reflecting on it, probably a little bit of both. Of course, I think that the beauty of understanding at a young age that you can make something from nothing is probably a really important mm-hmm. thing. You're not given every opportunity or tool or experience just laid in front of you. You sort of got to go and make your own. And I, mm-hmm. I think that probably being true of almost my entire life, of not being afraid of the unknown and not being afraid of just trying to make something that might not be there come true. And going flipping to the Vans years and years before that, I mean, I was just surrounded by so many awesome people that some of them were jack of all trades. Some of them were subject matter experts. And when you sort of latch on to like interesting stories and and interesting personalities, you sort of just obviously generally build your character and, and you gravitate to things you love. And, you know, my love of design and all things creation sort of led me to like knowing the designers and uh, of vans really, really well and the creative directors. And then ultimately not knowing a lot about building stuff, but how things got built and Less so the factories, but more project managers of who are really responsible of bringing projects to life and products to life. I only have a high school education, so I really had no other education to fall back on. So I had to, yeah. you know, take a get a master's degree in real life. When you think of the the motivation for starting Herschel, was it that you saw this market opportunity that you were like, hey, no one's doing this, and hey, I think I can kind of like be the one to do it? Or was it more of like a, hey, I've always had this idea to do this and there just happens to be a market opportunity for it? I think it would have to be a puzzle there of those pieces getting put together. My brother and I wanted to be in control of our own destiny. And you know, we worked for awesome brands. Jamie was working for K2 Sports at the time. We were working for these awesome brands and we were just selling other people's stuff. And we both said quite a few times that you know we didn't know if we wanted to be 40-year-old sales reps. And even when I quit Vans, I remember telling my sales manager at the time, it's like, you know what, I, you know, I'm kind of at a point in my life that I might rather set up like an event tent on the side of my kid's soccer field rather than one at a, an event we have to go to. And, and yeah. so it was, I think we were ready for a change. My brother and I just were chronic brainstormers. We've started like so many entrepreneurs with, wouldn't it be cool? You know, wouldn't we be cool if we could do that? Or wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? And, with so many of those sentences, starting with that, you sort of come up with some, hopefully some cool ideas that come out of it, the byproduct of those conversations. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, you know, I'm very fortunate to have a brother who is, you know, my best friend first, brother second, and business partner third. And eventually we, a lot of thought and consideration, we landed on, let's try with this one. 
my previous company, Skip the Dishes, we, uh, you know, I started with three brothers and I understand what working with family can be like. What has been your way of working together with your brother that has really kept you guys maintain a healthy relationship and, and kind of weather those natural up and downs that come with building anything? To be very honest, there hasn't been a lot of drama, which has been amazing. And I would say from my parents, probably the most amazing to them because they were scared shitless about us, you know, dissolving our family relationship over business. No kidding. Some of the advantages of working with family, you obviously have a lot of trust. That's this in me. But also you don't have to candy coat a lot. You know, like you, if you like something, you, you probably really like it. And if you don't like something, it's kind of okay to say like, yeah, it's okay. And I, I think it allowed us to move really quickly, which in terms of building the brand and scaling it from an early days, I think mm -hmm. there was just so many positive energy about being able to move fast and quick and be agile. And make quick decisions and know there was a lot of trust and not a lot of quote unquote bullshit in between, you know? Mm -hmm. And Jamie brought this up to me the other day. It, it was during an interview. It wasn't like a deep and meaningful conversation that him and I were having. But <laughs> one thing that we have so much in common, which is quite interesting, is we're both lovers of the outdoors and we both spend our time backcountry snowboarding and, and in nature. But we also, we love cities and we love the New Yorks and the Tokyos and the Los Angeles is of the world, but the, our love of like all things cultural and all things like there's this balance of how much we love being in nature. I think it's just, it's sort of maybe how we balanced our relationship where it's like, it's the yin and the yang of everything where it's like, we can handle the chaos, but we occasionally just need to retreat to get away from it all. And, mm -hmm. and it's not like we haven't had any fights along the way. Cause we certainly have had some arguments, but they, they're just over so quickly. Lucky for us and, and lucky for especially our parents, <laughs> where that sentence I said earlier about being best friends first and brother second remains to be true still today. And, and I also read that, you know, you never actually had a CEO. So how did you guys decide who does what? And ultimately, like, how do you make decisions when there isn't any final decision maker like a CEO would be? We had a lot of similarities in the middle. And I would say that's design, creativity, and the love of brands. On the outskirts, you know, from uh, setting up the back end, you know, why I love to design a, a great back end system just as much as as a product, you know. So mm -hmm. operation sales, sort of the finance, and sort of building a little bit of the the team sort of fell on my shoulders, mm -hmm. and then the production of products, and ultimately who had control of design was Jamie. And then we we met in the middle with marketing to make sure that whether we are telling a sales story or a go to market story or a product story. There was this super, super cohesive voice in the middle that was our tone. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, it's the old divide and conquer. We didn't know venture capitalists would actually invest in things like bag companies back in the day. So like we just bootstrapped this thing and for no better reason other than that we didn't know, right? It wasn't like you got, we weren't getting hit up by banks here and there, but a lot of those were acquisitions and we're like, we don't want to sell, you know, that's not, that's not what we're, we're doing right now. Well, maybe if it was an AI driven backpack company with, you know, a little bit of crypto involved, you probably could have raised around, you know, a billion bucks. <laughs> we should potentially do that now. <laughs> listen, we just had to get the job done. And yeah. I think we're, we're kind of wired like that to just know that there's a job to do and yeah, let's go get forward. it done. And yeah, constant momentum forward. So in the first year, you guys were in seven countries, you sold 8,000 backpacks and achieved, you know, close to a thousand percent growth. A lot of people I talk to really struggle with going from zero to one. They, they kind of find that to be the, the hardest part. Was this the case for you guys? One of the hardest things in life is putting yourself out there. This idea of whether you're showing up at a trade show 
remember nobody knew about Herschel. Like it wasn't like this heavily advertised brand that people were like launching soon. Like we didn't have any of that. You were just putting yourself out there in front of the world, in front of buyers, in front of press and media. And what's this Herschel thing? What's this logo thing? Are these are your products? This is your catalog. And so I think that, you know, the, the nerves around just putting this idea out into the world after you've been like incubating it for so long was probably the most nerve wracking. We quickly though had such positive reaction to what we were bringing to market. It was almost just like being intoxicated with like, oh wow, this can really work. And this idea that we have is resonating. Just selling those, you know, numbers of thousands of first bags in was really great. And even w- which was cooler and more impactful was we got sell through on them once they hit retail. And we were like, so now not only these stores are resonating with what we're doing, but like actual end consumers are going in to buy these things. The, the put yourself out there moment was the most nerve wracking. And then we were blessed with success, you know, and, uh, and it started working and we sold 8,000 bags in 2010. And since then we've sold, I think 52 million pieces. So it, it just, honestly, it's just been this incredible journey and incredible ride that we've been doing. So it's, it's been a lot of hardships along the way, of course, but not as many as, you know, we'd probably even think. Was there a moment when you said, all right, we're going to go all in on this? You know, was it before you sold your first bag or was it once you'd gotten some feedback from customers and, and found out that they loved it? And then you're like, okay, hey boss, I quit. This was on the, the side of our desk, sort of working 18 hour days because we had real jobs and real responsibilities, mm-hmm. which we took very seriously with our other jobs that we had. Yeah. I had a uh, one daughter and one on the way, <laughs> you know, so it was, it was real life. But no, we we just worked on this on the side of our desk. We sort of knew it was starting to work, but we still, I mean, 8,000 bags are nice, but you know, our bags aren't that expensive, so when you get out your calculator, whoever's listening, you can figure out that it wasn't that big revenue at that point in time yeah. and we were hiring lots of people to try to help, you know, so those costs that cost a lot of money as well and mid 2011 or something like that was when we finally took this off the plane. We started Neo. I had my first son on the way. And I remember the conversation with my wife saying, hey, like, we're going to kind of start all over again. We're going to leave our comfortable jobs and start from scratch. You know, not at all knowing, is this company going to be successful? And what's being a parent going to be like? And I think a lot of people do struggle with, you are asking a lot of your partner. You are asking a lot of your husband or your wife. What was that like for you guys? I imagine going into the clothing, apparel, you know, backpack business, so many companies fail doing that. And so how how are you able to go and look at this as a team, especially given the fact that you had another child on the way? Well, I mean, we just made sure it worked first. You know, we had a safety net that if the product didn't sell through or the extra inventory we didn't we bought didn't check, then we were just gonna give bags away for Christmases and anniversaries and birthdays for like until they were gone, thousands of units of stuff to until we moved through them all. But yeah, I think there was, it was a cautious approach. It was a lot of confidence for sure. We didn't pay ourselves, which was helpful. So we could turn revenue and profit back into investments of, of humans and more product and more inventory and more computers. And there's lots of stories. I'm, I'm sure Jeff, you, you know, it from starting businesses, I mean, our business was really scrappy, but like, you know, Jamie, he'd go away on a trip for two weeks and he'd come back and there'd be another employee sitting at his desk. And we, we just literally just used Ikea tables back in the day and just like took power bars and duct taped them up and plugged new computers in. And 
and got people going. But, and so Jamie's was had the bit of musical chairs with desks because he kept on hiring people and putting them in his. So we didn't let, let a lot of people into our office in the early days because it was a bit of a shit show. You didn't ask the question, but I'm always like, if I was to start something new. Yeah. With all the things I know now and having resources at my fingertips, yep. capital resources and human resources, some part of my gut says, God, you, got, you, you just sort of maybe have to be a little scrappier than, than what you could be. Like it's very uncomfortable putting yourself out there, like taking that risk. That that is an essential part that's needed in order to make you know any venture successful. You, like you need to have that discomfort. Is that is that kind of what you mean? Yeah. Or willing to accept that as an obstacle and figure out how you're going to get around it. Mm-hmm. Or do some more work. Like sometimes, you know, the, the most important person is convinces yourself or your closest network. It could be that you're not afraid of failure as well. You're willing to put yourself out there and maybe you're not afraid of failure. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember when I was like 18 or 19, I wanted to start like a vintage denim store. And I was so afraid of failure. And I didn't know what I was doing. But I was so afraid of failure, I didn't do it because I was afraid of failure. Mm-hmm. And what would my friends think? And what would other people think? And I'd mm-hmm. have to tell people didn't work. And maybe we were just so confident that we had something that was cool and that was going to resonate, or we thought that it certainly had the opportunity to resonate. And we were proud of what we created. Maybe that's a sign of like, oh, it's this is the right one. You know, I just remember being afraid of failure. And maybe it was just ego, you know, and it was ego and just like not wanting to tell people that you failed. But it, the other side of that, you can tell people that you were successful as well and hopefully motivate them to try something that can get yeah. them out of their comfort zone as well. And, you know, I hope that all entrepreneurs motivate the future generation of entrepreneurs to really mentor them, help them, but like try to get their ideas out of their brains or out of their notebooks and into the real world because it's intoxicating if it works. And probably a learning experience if it doesn't. When you think of your own experience, I mean, you mentioned earlier, you sold 52 million articles of of product. Do you still feel that discomfort and that like you're putting yourself out there or do you feel more relaxed with like, hey, all right, like we've kind of made it or are you kind of constantly looking for the next thing that you can be doing that's going to push you? We're comfortable that we have a great brand. It resonates. We have a loyal following, but we're, you know, my favorite definition in the world is the definition of the word future. And it's quite simply everything that is yet to come. And I am so excited about the future and all things that we can do and try and new categories, new products, new ideas, and all of those things that we get to bring to life. It comes along with new things, bring occasional a little bit of anxiety. Right now, we have a plan to open quite a few retail stores this year and continue on for the following years and signing long-term leases, the capital expenditures of building all of these stores. I'm like, well, we really want to get it right. So I think it's a healthy tension, but it's really fun. It's not the fear of getting things wrong because, you know, mm-hmm. I, we get lots of things wrong. And, you know, yeah. we're, we're far from perfect. But when they're, they're the big things, you really want to make sure those ones get right. <laughs> you know? So we've got an awesome platform and we have an awesome platform to build ideas off of. Mm-hmm. And shame on us if we don't continue to, to leverage off that platform to bring really cool ideas to life or change the way we do things that we've done in the past. Uh, you know, there's we've got every ability to do whatever we want, and it's it's up to us and our amazing teams to figure out what what that is. You know, you've made backpacks cool. You're coming out with new products all the time. What is yet to come for Herschel? Like, what's getting you really fired up? Again, going back to things you don't know, like all like the market research that's available and all the qualitative and quantitative information that's out there that we can get on our consumers is I find really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And trying to, to take all those 
bits and pieces of information and actually put them into a strategy of, of things that we can ultimately put into action. And in more like actual terms, I, I feel Herschel has a really great opportunity to continue to travel more with our end consumer. The pandemic kind of threw a little bit of breaks on some earlier product launches that we were going to happen. We were like, okay, well, maybe let's change gears and instead of building luggage, build masks, um, which we actually were quite successful in conveniently enough. The things that people talk about, let's get COVID out of this for a second because people really like to talk about COVID. But people talked about travel and the weather a lot. <laughs> and you ultimately look forward to most of life is potentially your next trip. And whether you're eight or 80, whether you're surfing for the first time or boarding a cruise, the idea and the passion that travel brings to people is, is mm -hmm. intoxicating. And people shoot more pictures. People try new food and are open to new experiences. And it's such a beautiful like spirit and attitude that people are in mm -hmm. that uh, I think that embracing that more from, from our brand and helping being on those journeys in a meaningful way, we at Herschel are really passionate about. You guys have gone through like a crazy amount of growth. When I think of Herschel, I look at you guys, I feel like you've been around forever, but it actually hasn't been a crazy amount of time. It's, you know, just over a decade. But like, how do you stay true to some of the early values that you had now that you're, you're moving millions of products every single year? You know, how do you maintain what made Herschel great originally and then keep that, but also at the same time, think about how it needs to evolve moving forward? I think the the learnings of the first decade. I mean, I, I always think we're quite old, actually. So for you to say we're young, I think it's it's nice to hear because you know when you've been in it for every single second of the entire <laughs> lifespan, the age and dog I, years, right? It's yeah, it's dog years for sure. But you know, the fact that we're not even a teenager yet is like okay, we've got so much learning to do, and there's so many different ways totally. that we're going to be able to express ourselves. And, you know, I, I think it's a challenge. We as a brand probably need to remind ourselves that we still need to remain highly entrepreneurial. Those wouldn't it be cool moments need to continue to surface themselves up and, and hopefully become priorities. Because, you know, we're a decent sized brand for sure, but we're not huge by any means. So there's there's lots of runway and airspace around us that we that we can go into. And I think that just being, you know, the idea that that business in in life itself or is a journey and those blue sky moments exist and, and trying to rally all your troops into seeing those moments and knowing that what this looks like in year 12 versus what this looks like in year 20 is going to be significantly different. Mm -hmm. And it's for us to reverse engineer where we want this thing to go. And then figure out how we plot our path there. And there's just so many cool opportunities. And yeah. we just got to stay hungry for them because that's the fun. I mean, the size of the business is great. That's like good for us, I guess. But it's, it's also like, I don't wake up every day and pop out of bed because the business is a certain size. I pop yeah. out of bed to bring ideas to life. And if we're not bringing ideas to life, then it's not something I'm really probably that interested in popping yeah. out of bed for. We got a serious business to run and lots of people who depend on us, including ourselves. Uh, you know, but uh, I think we got to make sure that we always stay on. I feel like there's often like a mystique around entrepreneurship and that people think that it's like, oh, you either are or you're not. You know, many of your employees who, who work for you may not see themselves as entrepreneurs because they're employed by you. But at the same time, you want them to have that mindset. You know, there's this, these kind of competing ideas in their minds of like, okay, am I an employee or am I an entrepreneur? Obviously, they're not mutually exclusive. Are there ways that you run your teams and lead your business that ingrain entrepreneurial thinking into the business? You know, our celebration of cool ideas, our celebration of 
collaboration, whether that's with a brand or a human, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a collaboration in relation to working with another party. Mm -hmm. I hope that our love of collaboration, our love of teamwork, our love of getting shit done is really, really admired and hopefully motivate people to do it themselves. And I, I think that we'd love to have employees stay here for years and years or decades and decades. But if we could also be a launch pad for someone to learn a little bit of a, about a business and maybe go off and try their own thing. And, you know, I think that this is a building block in, in people's lives. I think our responsibility is first to make it really rewarding and mm -hmm. challenging and thought provoking, but also, you know, provide a bit of a glimpse into what it looks like to run and be a brand, whether it's myself or Jamie, it's like, you know, our doors are open. You know, we certainly have had people tell us they're, they were nervous to meet us. And we are like, have you met me before? I'm like a cuddle. I'm like a teddy bear. I hope you're not nervous to meet me. You know what I mean? I'm, we try to make sure that people can share their ideas and they're passionate, whether that's about a hobby or mm -hmm. something that could be their next career move. I hope we've remained open for people to have those fun conversations because they're very motivating for us too. Do you think that the idea of employment is, is changing? Like I think of my parents, they had the same jobs their whole career, firefighter and a hospital worker, same employer, I think for 30 to 40 years. And I feel like a lot of people in my generation, their parents worked for long 10 years with companies. But then nowadays people are moving between companies a lot quicker but perhaps maybe that's not a bad thing. And if I'm kind of reading what you're saying here, Lyndon, you know, you can play a role in someone's career and that could be a three-year role. It could be a one-year until they learn what they need to, to, to basically make that decision of like, what do I want to be doing next? You know, and so how do you guys think of that? Well, hopefully it's over one year because uh, it's kind of <laughs> nice. I think you can probably do your best work after you've been here for a little while and really takes a while to figure out all all that's going on. In relation to, you know, people sticking with one career forever, I, I think those days are long gone. Growing up with my parents and their friends and our, our close family friends, yeah, everybody stayed in the same job forever. And it seems like nobody does anymore. So uh, the whole world has changed. And the fact that technology has enabled people to be work from a lot of different places around the world. And so your, your opportunities expand beyond your town or your city or your community to potentially the entire world. We're going to have more people moving around. And uh, I think that businesses are going to be better set up to react to these scenarios. Like, I think the reality is we're all going to have a little bit uh, more turnover. And so I think that part of that is business will have to react to it. We're not going to have these long tenures, which by the way, we've got a whole bunch of people who have been here for a long time. And, and we hope they stay for a long, a lot more time because they're near and dear to us. I think it's, it's very fluid right now. We'll be trapped in their basements on Zoom calls. And uh, I think that uh, kind of an awakening and, and I, I think people are just figuring out what's next and they had enough time, enough time staring at the wall or not being able to go have a beer with their friend at a pub or a restaurant that they spent more time thinking about what they, what's important to them. And I, I know that the, it's sad to see people go. It is. I mean, it's still like from a founder and, and someone who's super passionate about this, who's, who's been here every single day. It is sad to be, see people go. Uh, we hope that people are going on to bigger, better, new things that are going to inspire them. But mm -hmm. I, I think that, yeah, it's also on us to make sure we're keeping people motivated and, and giving them opportunities to see career progression and mm -hmm. or potentially even try out a different skill set that maybe they, they discovered while they've been with us. I think that we have to be open to that. And we are. The world's changing. And I, yeah. I think that it's going to be a good reflection point in five years to say like, What's yeah. going on? What's going on? And, no, totally. and shame on us if we didn't do it, adapt it. Even when you look at where clothing is going, and there's a lot more scrutiny now on 
sourcing on kind of the ethics and integrity of where you're getting things. How do you guys think about that at Herschel? The more pressure, whether it's internal or external pressure that people are putting on brands to do things properly is really important. And, you know, our impact uh, from a sustainability aspect or from an impact globally is really important to us. And I know our team from top down has been working on things of how we can continually be better. And it's not a, it's not a light switch here. You can't just switch everything in one go for, I know that the, the end consumer would love us to be able to do that, but we've consciously made some epic, great decisions over the last 18 to 24 months that when everything that we've been worked on comes into fruition and, and gets put to the public, we're internally going to be really, really proud of some of the things we've done and in the last couple of years to, to set ourselves up for the future and set up people and earth and others for a much better future as well. You're not going to drop it here on the podcast for everyone? <laughs> well, I mean, we all know that there's sustainable textiles available and it's not as easy as I would assume, but we've, we've just stayed laser focused on how we can impact the globe in a much more positive positive way. I mean, we, we've always said like our bags are guaranteed for life. We build them with value and craftsmanship and we guarantee them, you know, like we, we want these things to last for a long time, but I think we can hold true to that and, and still yeah. and still have less impact in the world. And we've had some incubated uh, great eco stories in our range that not catalysts for change, but just really good proof points that we can do this. And so how do we do it on a little bigger scale? What advice would you have given to yourself in the first few years of, of Herschel, knowing what you know now? My brother's advice is always like, we should have just done this way sooner. <laughs> That's what he always says in this uh, situation. That's good advice though. I, <laughs> you may want to you stop know, there. I, but maybe not. I'm also a big believer in people always go, oh, your timing was perfect. I'm like, well, any good ideas, your timing is perfect. I think that maybe advice I give to my kids is anything is possible, you know, and just don't shelter yourself from being afraid to ask silly questions or stupid questions or don't be afraid to dream big. I think we did dream big, but I think we could have dreamed bigger, <laughs> you know, and I, I like having big lofty goals. They're fun to challenge yourself to like, how do we ultimately execute better? And, I, and also maybe to add one more thing to that, it's like, don't be afraid to share your ideas, right? Whether you're, I've never been afraid. I, I read that quote once, I'm sure you've heard it, but you know, the most famous chefs in the world make cookbooks, right? So they're not afraid to share their recipe. And yeah. I certainly not afraid to share ours, whether it's things we're doing or things that we would have loved to do, but we just simply don't have the resources. Or time yeah. To do. We had uh, Andre Taru on the podcast and he was talking about how when you talk to people about your idea and you've got this you know, confidence and excitement that you can't shake, even despite what people are going to tell you, which some of it might be good, some of it might be bad. Lyndon, it's just so great to see kind of how far you guys have come. Selfishly, as someone from Saskatchewan, to see a town of 30 become so famous because of what you guys have done. I think that's awesome. And just to see your journey, I hope it inspires other people to build great consumer brands here in Canada. And I just want to let you know how grateful I am to have you on the show. Yeah, well, thanks for inviting me. I uh, I know we only got a small part of the Herschel story, but I do hope that whether the, you're the youth or whether you're someone sitting at a job that bores them out of their mind, it's like, don't be afraid to again put yourself out there and try something new. And what's the best thing that can happen is sort of better than what's the worst thing that can happen and trying to harness that energy. It's uh, It's been an incredible journey thus far and something that motivates me every day to continue to be able to do yeah. it and, and uh, do it better than we've done in the past. Is there any parting messages you want to leave our listeners with? 
focus on your success and don't be afraid of the potential failures and you know the windshield's a hell of a lot bigger than the rearview mirror and so look at your past for reference but look out the big sheet of glass for where you're heading in the future and, and along that journey don't be afraid to take the scenic route there's epic moments in this life of ours that, that need to be embraced and, and seen Thank you for tuning in to Behind the Brand, presented by NEO. If you enjoyed today's show and are interested in joining NEO, head over to join.neo.cc slash podcast 50. This link will also be available in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.